The time has come, folks. Another episode of Put on a Stack of 45s with your pals Bill Mesnick and Rich Buckland. Bill in California, Rich in Florida, doing the thing that we do. And uh, Put on a Stack of 45s is dedicated to a 45 RPM recording of note that allows you to uh, hear Bill and I discuss the recording and its importance in our in our culture and maybe becomes more important in your culture or, or less important depending upon your uh, degree of uh, recollection or maybe you're being introduced to it that's the whole idea of this we don't know but we hope we hope that it brings you joy pleasure and inspiration and today we're indeed, going indeed we're going to uh, we're going to this place. Here's 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 where we're going. Here's how I'm going to introduce this. So, the artist that we are going to be dealing with today is an artist of of great note. Not one of Bill's favorites, and I I would say my respect for her is uh, is is as prominent as my respect for her talent, but my respect for her longevity and her taste and her elegance is something that uh, has stayed with me ever since I was a, uh, a, a, a little one collecting records. There's no denying, there's no denying those qualities. Yes, those qualities are all present in Miss Judy Collins who stated that she was sitting in her apartment in 1973 and got a call from her friend, Nancy Bacall, whose friendship was a gift from Leonard Cohn. Um, he introduced her to two of his best friends from Montreal, and Nancy became very close friends with, with, with Judy. Uh, in 73, she was a at a loss for material to record. And she called me up and she said, I'm sending over an album and you have to play it. You have to put the needle on the cut that says, send in the clowns. And she did just that. She played it and said, oh, my God. She called musical director Hal Prince and said, Mr. Prince, you have a wonderful blah, blah. He answered the phone. He was, she was thrilled about it. And he says, oh, yes, I know you. You're the one with the iconic version of Amazing Grace. which uh, is a song that is regarded as the second most recorded song in history next to uh, Paul McCartney's Yesterday. So those are... up uh, a controversy that we had uh, discussed in an earlier episode. Yes. But Send in the Clowns, if I may, Send in the Clowns has a, 
interesting distinction, having charted twice in 75 and made it to number 36 and 77 and made number 19, the same, the same recording. Um, so I don't think, I can't recall us ever covering uh, a record that did that. Uh, no, and but you, you take into consideration the the vast the, the variety of performances that has that, that this song has been covered by Barbara Streisand and is of course the Sinatra version most considered the version. But it was Judy Collins' biggest hit. It was an action. You know who was the first one to uh, recognize the song's potential and play it? Uh, Murray the K. <laughs> no, Bobby Short. Bobby Short, <laughs> the legendary lounge singer. Bobby, yeah, the Carlisle. Um, you know, uh, but he was a, a Broadway baby, and um, he recognized. He, you know, this was a came from Stephen Sondheim's musical, a little night music from 1973, based on. Um, Ingmar Bergman film Smiles of a Summer Night. Yes. And uh and and you alluded to the conversation that Judy had with Hal Prince the producer and Hal Prince uh, said uh, according to Judy that her recording saved the show. But 200 people had already recorded before she had recorded it, which I find fascinating. 200 people yeah, and, had and, already and Sondheim could never understand why. No, he never he did not like the song. He, he never, thought it was unworthy. Yeah, and and Judy somehow felt that Sondheim was unworthy. There was a there was an interesting uh, uh, there was an interesting dynamic in that. I don't think they had a relationship of any nature, but um, there was for someone who gave her her biggest recording. She didn't seem to have a great deal of respect for for him. Well, she, I think she was pissed off because he didn't acknowledge her with any respect. She said that she, in American Songwriter magazine, she says, "I don't need Sondheim's advice about anything." Yeah, I don't need his advice about anything, which pretty well sums up her uh, her her attitude about her place in uh, her place in history. Um, what what I. What I think is extraordinary about the song, and you hear it in Sinatra's version, and then you hear the female take in Judy Collins' version. And what I like about Judy Collins most is that she maintains a rhythm and a pattern in her delivery of these stories that she tells, whether it be joyful, whether it be mournful. It's always Judy Collins, and she doesn't have to do more than just tell the tale. And this is due to the fact that she, like Bob Dylan, grew up on the music of Woody Guthrie and grew up on the music of, uh, of the great folk singers of, uh, of the era, Cisco Houston. And she just turned 82 years of age, and she's still working. Dylan is 80. So... Although Bob, Bobby, you never really know what Bobby's real story is because I, I don't I think he's going to be an enigma until the end. But we know that 
Judy's first album, A Maid of Constant Sorrow, uh, when she was 22 years of age, is, is a brilliant piece of work, as brilliant as the early recordings of Joan Baez. Uh, and she shares a great deal with Joan Baez in that they both came up under the same conditions politically. They were both activists and um, were both fearless in speaking of women's issues and uh, telling their stories through a woman's voice. They are probably the first two females I ever heard do that, um, with the exception of Buffy St. Murray. And she did it from another position because of her Native American heritage. Um, did you know that she was a uh, she was a prodigy, a piano prodigy? And then she picks up the guitar, and uh, you know every parent's nightmare begins uh, collecting the protest songs of Tom Paxton, Phil Oaks, and Bob Dylan. And then she her version of Pete Seeger's "Turn, Turn, Turn" because she adored Pete Seeger was uh, instrumental in bringing little-known musicians uh, together. She had already recorded songs by uh, Eric Anderson, Fred Neal, Ian Tyson, Joni Mitchell, Randy Newman, Robin Williamson, and Richard Farina. I think you have to give her a great deal of credit for being one of those people who had impeccable tastes and recorded great songs by the leading songwriters of the day before they were the leading songwriters of the day. Um, this song was written, as I said, for the Broadway show for, for the actress Glynis Johns. Mm-hmm. And and he wrote it with these short phrases and a limited range because Glynis Johns could hardly sing at all or uh, support with breath. And it's written in this unusual meter varying between 12, 8, and 9, 8. And um, it's it's a very unlikely hit to have charted twice and once for 27 weeks um, and win, wins the Grammy Song of the Year in 1976. Uh, so it's definitely um, worth examining. Well, I think what what when you when you come upon this the period in the mid 70s uh when you, when you come across recordings like who knows where the time goes there becomes a maturity that begins to um evolve and the material that she selected was a part of who she understood she was she was no longer that young woman having an affair with Stephen Stills she had gained uh, a new understanding of uh, of art, of music, and of um, how she wished to see herself in the evolution of all of this. But all the while maintaining her integrity and maintaining a, uh, a dignity that you don't see in artists whose careers have lasted this long. She was also one of the first women to ride that country uh, that country rock wave and songs like Someday Soon were prominent in in the development of that type of 
understanding of how women could accomplish that, as Linda Ronstadt had, had proven. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's my favorite Judy Collins song, yeah, by uh, Ian Tyson. much more sentimental uh, and evoke a, a a mural of memory for me. Uh, one of these is from Who Knows Where the Time Goes and the song is Robin Williamson's The First Girl I Loved. love Robin Williamson and the Incredible String Band's version, it, I heard it during a period of time when I went through something that reflected upon what that all meant. Who, who was the first person, the first person you ever loved? Um, what did that relationship mean? What was it about and how did it end? And her intonation in this is just heartbreaking to me and still is after all these years. Um, and that's one of my favorite albums, Who Knows Where the Time Goes. I just think there's some brilliant, brilliant vocals on that recording. And in 67, she comes back with, uh, in 67, she records Wildflowers. And she's also a part of this Electra team, this Electra Records team that gave us so many of those early important artists, such as Phil Oaks and Love and Clear Light, who we'll talk about another day, and uh, Patrick Skye and David Blue, and uh, you know the early, early incarnation. And uh, Judy's affiliation with them was uh, was was her first affiliation with a record company. Um, so she gained this reputation as a solid art song singer and folk singer and began to stand out for um, some of her own writing as well. There's really not much that one can say about a career that has transformed uh, popular music so quietly that she's not given all of the credit that she deserves. Uh, in my estimation, 
and in as Tom Rush did in imparting the songs of Joni Mitchell and Charlie Rich and Jackson Brown, uh, Judy Collins had that same transformative ability while maintaining her identity. But yeah, to cross over also from you know using a Broadway song, and you know you think about the relationship between pop music and Broadway um, in the 60s and 70s in particular. Sending the Clowns is probably one of the biggest. Um, there was Memory from Cats and, and People from Funny Girl and Hello Dolly, of course. Uh, but um, Yeah, but hair really yeah, changed everything. Hair, Let the Sunshine in Aquarius. Yeah. yeah, Jesus Christ Superstar. Uh, but these are songs that I think people in the um, that buy and listen to pop music don't generally um, go for. Yeah, I, I, there is also a crossover ability in film as well. One of my favorite films is The Subject is Roses with Jack Albertson and Patricia Neal. And Martin Sheen. And Martin Sheen, of course. There are two songs that uh, are used, Judy Collins songs are used, Who Knows Where the Time Goes in Albatross. And they are so perfectly placed in that film. And um, there, I can't think of any other singer who could have imparted the emotion of what goes on in that apartment, in that film, than the voice of Judy Collins. It is an every woman voice. I also believe... And I, I do believe this, that I believe that part of the critique that Judy Collins has received over the years is due to her being a woman. Uh, being a woman? Being a woman, just as Joan Baez spoke out during a period of time where we were entering, we were just beginning to enter this revolution of feminism. Uh, Judy Collins spoke openly of her abortions. She spoke openly of of, of, of a number of, of issues that I'm sure did not exactly uh, uh, place her deep in the hearts of the middle class. And mm. as with all performers who get older and endure you gain more respect uh, for what they have created over these periods of maturity. So I do believe that there is a bit of misogyny that existed within me. Uh, and I'm, I think if you asked, I don't know if Linda Ronstadt would be so agreeable, but I think Bonnie Raitt might be agreeable that there were elements of, of that in uh, her efforts to gain the footholds that she wished to gain and a number of other female artists of the time. Then there were others, of course, who who just jumped that ship completely and never came into question, like a Janis Joplin, uh, because she was immediately identified with Billie Holiday. But when you're talking social issues and you're talking this type of creativity, the protest song, the art song, as many people have referred to some of her work, um, 
I think there can be some uh, some prejudice. That the well, there's a lovely maternal quality and um, a, a timeless romance. Um, you know, I it's I it's a beautiful voice. Yes, and I I, I think in, on songs like Chelsea Morning, uh, you can't dispute there's an originality of 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 texture that there's not a lot of swing let's put it that way no but there's there's the she works from the elevation of of the heart and she's not attempting to leonard cone you in any way she's not attempting to symbolize you into submission or to dare you and to challenge you she is there to try to transfer an emotion and translate the material uh, the best she possibly knows how. She did it with folk material, and she did it with Broadway material. That's a hard, hard jump, as you had made the... Uh, yeah, no, and, uh, and obviously uh, did it magnificently. Yes, did it magnificently. And she's going to be here in Florida at a theater close by to us. It's about a half an hour away on January the 8th. And uh, uh, we're going to be able to uh, actually see her in person, which will be the first time I've seen her in probably 45 years. And uh, to see a performer at this age, as I have with other performers in there uh, who are past what others consider the prime but uh, when I saw the Duke of Earl himself, Gene Chandler, performing at the age of closing in on 78, and Tony Bennett closing in on 90, there's a timelessness to some of these performers that's astounding how you are able to jump that hurdle and still be able to perform at a certain age when others have a hard time getting out of bed. So uh, all respect to the clowns. And th- that th- there is something about that song, of course, in and of itself, whether it be her rendition, Frank Sinatra's rendition, whoever's rendition of this song. Uh, it's interesting how the creator often does not appreciate his or her own creation with the... Well, that's, uh, that's what uh, Judy Collins was saying, that he, that he has no idea. Yeah, that he, was, that he was pretty well clueless as to what he had designed. And I don't know, maybe that's part of the, you know, maybe that's part of humility combined with the genius that it takes in order to stir up those emotions. But... Well, I don't think anyone would accuse Stephen Sondheim of humility. Well, I think the as whoever you are as a human being, you can be the greatest egotist in the world and be an actor and portray the humblest of characters if you have the gift. <laughs> um, but it's all about having the gift. Well, as someone once said, truth and honesty... Truth and honesty. And if you can fake that, you got it made. You got it made. But isn't Send In the Clowns 
possibly the most mature and artful delivery of the difficulties of, I always saw, heard it within a marital context, not just a relationship, yeah. a casual relationship. Right, right. Well, you know, it's interesting in the context of the play, mm-hmm. um, Glynis Johns, who sings it, she, she is re, uh, by happenstance, reunited with an old lover who is now engaged to a young woman. This is a middle-aged woman's reflection on what she, you know, the time passing and the loss of, you know, reconciling the loss of romance. Um, You know, so to take that dramatic context and then put it in onto a pop record and make it universal, that's um, that's a real feat. Yeah, it is a feat. It is a feat. It's a feat to, to, to be able to dramatize it as well within the context of a, of a play, but um, and for it to come from the uh, the charms of, of Bergman, who was masterful at despair. Um, I mean, maybe that's why Sondheim didn't recognize the, the song's greatness because he was so embroiled in the um, workmanlike uh, uh, obligations of trying to fill a hole in the dramatic uh, through line and create a song for this character while they were in workshops and processing the thing. And the and Prince. Uh, saying no, it's not the scene's not about him; it's about her. Wright heard the song, and so he sets to work to create this song. And he's, you know, it's he's in he's got a much larger context that he's dealing with. Um, and then you pop that out and you put it out on a record, and it moves millions of people. It's, yeah, and you can see wh- why it would. I mean, it 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 is the it is a absolute honest reflection of the human condition when it comes to attempting to make connection and it is spoken poetically and spoken by two of the best interpreters of this kind of material uh, and you know estimation. where the uh, the um the uh, title what what that is referencing actually i i had come across a couple of suggestions for that, but I was unsure as to the... Well, sometimes, sometimes says that it's, a, it's an old circus term. Well, that, yes. And losing the audience, mm-hmm. sending the clowns. Right, right. Which makes, the, which, which makes more sense, and um, other interpretations I've heard is it's we are all simply... Uh, it's Shakespearean in nature. We are all, right at the end. Yeah. We are all jokers in this yeah. in this program, and what we attempt to do doesn't make much difference because it's all going to be what it's going to be. Um, right, and that's that's why at the end she says, "Don't bother; they're here." 
we are the clowns. we are the clowns exactly we are the fools yes we are yeah, the fools. so you're right about that yeah yeah and it's it, it always struck me those particularly when sinatra sings that last line don't bother there he It touches you in a way. There, there's, there's so many recordings, of course, that touch you. But sometimes a line in particular just strikes you down and just, just immobilizes you. And uh, as I say, he's one of the artists who could do that with just one line, after imparting an entire adventure, romantic adventure, and then there's one line and boom. Um, also, I, th- I find interesting, like many folk singers. Judy Collins, of course, as I mentioned, was drawn to social activism. And um, something that is very important that is overlooked is a ballad that she had written for Che Guevara. One morning in Bolivia, the leader of the partisans and two of his companions were forced to flee the mountains for the who was the Marxist icon, um, and it is called Che, and it is a wonderful song, um, written during a period of time when songs of this nature were important to produce, as Phil Oaks understood, as Tom Paxton understood, as all of those early folk singers, Dylan especially, understood. Um, these events need to be uh, related, if in no for no other reason than justice. If justice cannot be achieved, then history will at least remember it. And I find her a vital figure in having produced some of that uh, that material that will historically be remembered. I also believe that she is also going to be appreciated much, much more highly as. Unfortunately, many are after her passing. I think reflections of her are going to be dynamically, uh, uh, will be dynamic. Uh, That's just my personal opinion. But um, thank you, Judy, for a lifetime of uh, devotion to, uh, to music and to art and to attempting to make us feel something, even when we don't want to feel it. I'm a heavy dude today, man. I'm a heavy dude, you man. Are, you are carrying carrying the philosophical the philosophical weight on the shoulders. Jeez, man, I gotta I gotta calm down here. All right, okay. Well, this has You're inspired. Been, this beautiful, is, I'm, I'm, beautiful thing. I'm inspired. I'm inspired. Limpy. So this, of course, has been the moment you've awaited. Judy Collins, send in the clown. Isn't it rich? Are we a pair? Me here at last on the ground, you in midair. 
Yep, they're here, baby. It's all here. Don't bother. They're Don't here. bother. They're here. You're here. We're here. We're all here. Bill you Rich, clowns for your entertainment. Clown for your entertainment, and sometimes we're going to make you think. And those are the dangerous moments. Those <laughs> heaven forfend. Those are the dangerous moments. Bill and I are working on a new version of the day the clown cried. It's a musical. <laughs> oh God! 
So in any case, this is Put on a Stack of 45s, and we hope that you have enjoyed this, as you will enjoy our other programming, particularly Captain Billy's Magic 8-Ball. Why is it called Magic 8-Ball? Well, Bill has a collection of 8-track tapes that you wouldn't believe. His house is filled with 8-track tapes. He had to kick his kids out of the house because there's no room for them. He has to give the rooms to the 8-tracks. So he digs in there once a week. He picks one out. He goes... You know, let me do a little three-minute or so observation on this. He records it for you, and then we play the entire album in high definition. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful I thing. I just got a new one. I just worked on a new one. Well, I was waiting to hear about the newest. What? Come on, you can. <laughs> come on. You want... Nod is as good as a wink. Oh boy, you're going with Rod. Going with Rod. Faces, yeah. Okay. Faces with Rod. Okay. I've got a great story that goes along with it. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. All right. Bird's Greatest Hits will be coming up this week, and then we will follow up with... <laughs> that's, that's, that's great. That's good. I can't wait to hear this one. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Ladies and gentlemen, the jury, we thank you. We thank you for uh, giving us the opportunity to uh, entertain you to the best indulging of our... Indulging us. Indulging us. Thank you for us. indulging us. And... Uh, We hope that we have uh, provided something for your daily pleasure. And uh, we shall return with another episode of Put on a Stack of 45. You can find us on our Dig This page through strangerintown.podcastpeople.com. And, of course, Dig This on Facebook, regardless of what you say about Facebook and whatever name. What are they changing their name to, by the way? Meta. Meta. And what is that supposed to represent? Well, meta, you know, you know what meta means, right? Yeah, but it's in this case, I'm trying to understand really how it translates. Well, I think everybody's trying to understand. Um, <laughs> I, I think he's uh, Facebook is is turning into a dirty word, so he's he's trying to like distract. Oh, but meta, I, yeah, you know, I mean, the idea of something that's meta, right, which is kind of reflecting upon itself. Yes, yes, yes. Man, yeah, I, I guess I, I guess what I'm ruminating about in my head is how it took a political landscape to eviscerate the idea of this communicative idea of just people being able to find each other again. That was really there. Yeah, well, you know, the whole thing's been corrupted by its uh, incredible size. And once again, the capitalist imperative. But if you watch the social network, originally he invented this thing to meet girls, chicks. Yeah, meet girls. I mean, everything in the world is designed to meet girls. But when Judy Collins was playing, she wasn't playing to meet girls. We played to meet girls. So who, why, why did she play? We definitely did. Did she play to meet boys? I don't think she did. I think, see, that's you a difference. See, you and, and, but here's the thing. This is the integrity between men and women. This is the difference. Women do it because they they honestly want to communicate. Men do it because they want to Well, women are better than men. Uh, well, that's understood. That's completely understood. Yeah. They're, they're more evolved creatures. They're much more evolved creatures. And uh, for those of you who disagree, I'm sorry, but uh, you can tune out. But, boy, that's our experience. 
We just do the best we can, right? You make a little money here. Yeah, just a couple of yeah, well, you know, poor, poor awkward men. Yeah, stumbling around in the darkness. Stumbling in the dark. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> yeah turn off the machine. <laughs> I love you, Bill. I love you, and we love you, and we'll see you soon with Put on a Stack of 45s. Adios, mi amigo. Stack of 45s.